Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Heritage Foundation's Executive Vice President, Kim Holmes. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Heritage Foundation. It's a real privilege and honor to have all of you here with us today. And on behalf of the Heritage Foundation, we are honored to host President-elect Bukele uh, of El Salvador for his first public event in Washington, D.C. Uh, we are delighted to uh, share this moment with so many Salvadorans and so many friends of El Salvador in both the audience here and also online. El Salvador is a country of immense importance uh, to the United States. It is a longtime ally. It's a longtime trade partner. America and El Salvador have enjoyed over a century of diplomatic relations, and we are richer for the contributions of the Salvadoran diaspora. The election of Nayib Bukele uh, represents a several, uh, a several milestones for El Salvador. He is the youngest uh, president in El Salvador's history. He is also the first third-party candidate to hold office since the end of El Salvador's civil war. On February 3rd, he was elected with 53% of the vote, which was avoiding a need for a runoff. As the mayor of the capital city of San Salvador, President-elect pioneered various successful violence prevention programs. He revived public spaces throughout the city, and he provided youth with sports and cultural programs. His administration also instituted a zero-tolerance policy for corruption. As president-elect, he can now take his anti-corruption agenda nationwide, and we look forward to hearing more about his plans. El Salvador is in the midst of an insecurity and economic crisis. It has the misfortune of being caught in between South America, the top drug-producing region in the world, and the United States, which is one of the top drug consumers. Violent street gangs, and transnational criminal organizations have destabilized the Central American region. This insecurity has stifled economic growth, and a decade of status economic policies has worsened El Salvador's economic health. According to the Heritage Foundation's uh, Index of Economic Freedom, El Salvador's economic freedom score has declined during the uh, previous tenure of the, the government uh, that preceded the current one, from 69.8 in 2009 to 61.8 in 2019. And this government's legacy leaves a legacy of economic, uh, of uh, anemic economic growth, 
weak government effectiveness and a large surge in violence, homicides, and drug trafficking. Now, we commend the President-elect's support for Venezuela's Juan Guaido, and under the President-elect Bukele's leadership, El Salvador will no longer be an active supporter of Maduro's criminal dictatorship. Now, judging by the uh, large social media following and the presence in this room, the President-elect needs no or very little introduction. On June 1st, he will be sworn in to office as El Salvador's next president. And we are looking forward to the next five years of his administration. So please join me in welcoming to the stage President-elect Bukele. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, this is my, actually, this is my first public speech since we won the elections in February 3rd. And some people back, back home said, why did you choose the Heritage Foundation to make your first public speech? And I would say the things that the president of the Heritage Foundation just told me. This is the most influential think tank in the world right now. And El Salvador needs the support of the most influential think tank in the world. So that's why we're here. And since we, we always say that we, in, the, in February 3rd, El Salvador turned the page in the post-war era. And that's something people, some people say, how do you eat that? I mean, what does that mean? Everybody knows El Salvador had a war, a civil war. A 12-year-old civil war started in the 80s. It ended up in January 16, 1992, with the sign of the peace accords. But actually, we ended the war formally, but we never ended the war, really. After the peace accords, the two sides of the war one represented by ARENA, and the other one represented by the former guerrilla, which then became a party, the FMLN, they continued to run the country for 27 years. They still run the country. Right now, we have in, in government, we have the former guerrilla in government. They will continue to rule the country till January 1st. So the, the real thing is that the international community forgot about El Salvador and said, okay, El Salvador signed their peace accords, they're fine now, let's, let's go somewhere else where they need us. But the fact was that El Salvador was still living in the post-war. And everything that affected us in the war, all of the discussions that became into what we know of, uh, as a civil war are still there. The two sides... The same old discussions, the same old ideological divides. So the country needed to move forward. And one step to move forward was to end up this two-side regime, which is the same two sides that made our, fought our civil war. So in, January, in February 3rd, El Salvador 
decided decisively to turn the page of the post-war era. We won by, not, not by double digits, but by double, double digits. It's more than 20 points from, our, from the second place. We won in the 14 departments of El Salvador. We won in the 14 cabeceras, which is like the 14 capitals of the states here. We won in 14 of them. Out of the 60 main cities, we won in 59. We won in fall groups. We won in women, men, young, old, rural, urban, rich, poor. We even won the kids' election. Really? By 61%. It's not official, but it gives you a thermometer of the future. And we won the international vote. Salvadorans voted for us 80%. 80% of Salvadorans that voted, living abroad, voted for us. And we won to all we won to all of the other parties combined. If you if you add up all of the other parties, they will stay way short, shorter than what we achieved on February 3rd. But the reality is that we got a big win. But at the same time, there's still a lot of power in the two sides that made the Civil War. They still control the National Assembly, they still control many of the institutions that make our government work. And that's the way a democracy works. But at the same time, it's one of the challenges we'll have to face if we want to move the country forward and we want to really turn the page of the post-war era. Now, there's something very important, and that's why we're here. El Salvador's relationship with the United States has eroded in the last 10 years. By matters of ideology or by matters of lack of pragmatism, we just forgot that we have a third of our population in the United States, that we use the U.S. currency as our own currency, that 80% of our exports come to the United States, and that 80% of our imports come from the United States. So we we were making the right decisions. Now we want to make the right decisions. And we want to improve our relationship with the United States as, the, as best as we can. How, someone will say. And actually, we have so much in common. We, we want the same things that most Americans want. We think... 90% alike of what American thinks. And if you see, we endure things like free enterprise, limited government, we like freedom of speech, we like democracy. Actually, if it wasn't a democracy, we wouldn't be here. And it was, it was because of a great international observancy of the elections that we didn't have a widespread fraud that would have prevented us from winning. So now the challenges that we face are, are, can be solved with the same recipe that were solved here in the United States. 
I've always said that Washington is my, is my favorite city in the United States. And it's not because it's the most beautiful or the, the one with less traffic. But, but just because of the fact of the vision when it was built. When Washington was built, the U.S. was a poor country. And they built this huge, beautiful city as their capital. So they will impress foreign dignitaries. The wisdom of doing that is not by doing that itself, but by the vision of what they wanted to achieve. Probably in 50 years, probably in 100 years, but they were sure they will be a world power someday. When we go, we go back, probably it wasn't a popular decision, but when we look back, we will see it was the correct decision. And right now, the United States is the most powerful country in the world. So it was a vision that turned into reality. Now, our vision is not to be a superpower. We're too small. But our vision is to have opportunities, is to have security, is to have, is to erode, disappear poverty, is to have, to be an example for other third world countries that things can be better when you unite and use common sense to build a policy. So we want to look towards the future. And like I say to some government officials we have been, we have been having meetings with, I, we just had a meeting with the president of Mexico. When they ask us, what do you need? We can send you aid. How much aid do you need? Or are you expecting us to increase our aid? And I said, no, we're not expecting you to increase your aid. If you actually want to end it, end it we're fine with it. We don't want to be aid. We don't really be aided. We want to do business with you. If the U.S. will buy 1% of the coffee it consumes, it will, we will not be able to grow so much coffee for that demand. If the United States will buy 1% of its sugar to us, we will not be able to produce so much sugar. So the reality is that the U.S. can send us a billion dollars in aid, but that will make a real difference. But if the United States starts doing business with us, that will really make a real difference that is solid and that will create real jobs. Now Salvadorans, now Salvadorans are very, very hardworking people. And of course, any president of any country could come here and say the same thing, right? But this is true. Salvadorans are very, very hardworking people. So when we speak about immigration, for example, we have a common ground. You could, when you talk to somebody, or when you try to make a deal with somebody, you could, you could focus on your differences, or you can focus on the common ground. If you focus on your differences, you will fight. If you focus on your common ground, on the common ground then you'll find solutions. Now, we have common ground. We know the origin of immigration is lack of opportunity and violence in our countries. That's the origin of 90% of our immigration. The rest is 
professional immigration or investment immigration. Or, but the 90, 95% of our immigration is violence and lack of opportunity in our countries. I say our countries because I include Mexico, Guatemala, and Honduras. So what's the solution? You could do a thousand counter-immigration programs, and none of them will work as developing opportunities and security in the countries where immigration originates. Why would somebody flee his home? Why? He has everything. His family, his, his language, his habitat, the country he knows. Why would he flee across three frontiers, a desert, possibility of being kidnapped, killed, raped, and then for the possibility of crossing a border with no papers and trying to find a job, an underpaid job, maybe two, maybe three jobs. Why? Does it make sense? Only if it's the only opportunity, if it's the only choice. So that shouldn't be the only choice. Now, what if we provide opportunities back home? Someone would say, yeah, that sounds nice, but how would you do it, right? Well, it's actually easy if you understand how the economy works. The real investment is private investment. But private investment has to be lured. And the way the private investor investment can be lured is by setting the right rules, the security that those rules are not going to be changed, building the basic infrastructure, limit the government to what the government should do, and corruption, and promote your country. And we're starting to do that, even before we're sworn in. So we're planting the seeds now. So when we start the government, we kind of start to be what we saw. Now, some countries would come to the United States and ask for handouts. But a handout is like giving, your, giving a drug addict money. He will go out and buy drugs. We don't want any handouts. Actually, we're, we're ready to, give a, to refuse aid if we will jumpstart commerce. We do want to do business with the United States. Our greatest and most powerful ally at the country where we, a third of our population lives, a country that shares so much with us, and a country we're so close, it's actually easier to come from El Salvador to Miami than from New York to California. So we hope for a new era, not only in El Salvador, but with our, in, our relationship, in our relationship with the United States. Some people have said, oh, you know, but the current administration has said some bad things about your country. And I would say, well, the, the best way to answer is not, a, 
It's not getting to a fight with your greatest ally. The best way to answer is to is to make your country better. So then the speech will change. Because when we get mad at somebody criticizing us, we're not looking our, to ourselves. I mean, we're not looking back to our country and say, we should start criticizing our country ourselves so we can better. Nobody can get better at something if they don't, if, if they don't accept they're doing things the wrong way. So we want to start to do the things the right way. And I'm sure, as President Andrés Manuel López Obrador said in Mexico, the only way we'll stop immigration is if we create opportunities. And he said he is committed to end immigration before his six-year term. So I would say that we are committed to stop immigration before our before our five-year term ends. <laughs> I, haven't said that be- I haven't said that before. And I will say something that is also new. We're committed to stop 100% of the drug trafficking that comes through El Salvador to the United States. We already have a plan, and we want to, and we will. We will make that plan work, and we will show the rest of the countries that if we, if you put your will into something, if you put your resources into, into something, if you use common sense, and if you stop corruption, things can be done fast, and you can become an example for the other countries to do the same. So. So then we become a real partner, a small one, but a real one. So if, we are par- if we're a partner, we want to be treated as, well, as a partner, and more than a partner, as a friend. We're friends with the United States, and we expect the same from the United States to us. We're going to end immigration, force- forceful immigration, and we expect the United States to help. Not because they're going to send us aid, but because it's a common interest. We want our talents to stay in El Salvador. And we want some of the talents to come back to El Salvador. You know how much a Salvadoran immigrant stays without a job? The average the Salvadoran immigrant stays without a job in the United States? The amount of time? 12 hours. That's World Bank info. The average Salvadoran family earns $80,000 a year in the United States. Why? Because they're hardworking. They can work two, three jobs. We want them people back. But we want to establish more trade. We want the U.S. To, to buy our products. We will buy their products, too. We can be small, 
and we cannot we cannot small dent in the U.S. economy, but we could be an example of the relationship that the U.S. could have with other countries, and how a country, small country, which is in the third world, some say is a developing country, some would say it's under, it's not developing. But the real thing is that we could show that El Salvador, with the how it seems right now, it could be totally changed. If you turn on TV, if you talk, if they're talking about El Salvador, they will be talking about gangs, violence, caravans, corruption. In two years from now, you'll be you, you will put the TV on, you will see El Salvador. They will talk about surf, tourism, jobs, economic growth, a partner and an ally of the United States. So perception will change. Because reality will have changed. Now, I think it's in the common interest of everybody. And we have shared this with U.S. officials of the current administration, but also with, um, with senators, with congresspeople. And they, ha- they have all the same goals. So why not take advantage of having the same goals? Actually, not achieving this will be a, will be a huge failure for us. So we have to achieve achieve it. And like I said, just a, mi- a couple of minutes ago before entering here, I said when I'm out of office, I'll be 42. I don't know what I do then. I cannot run for anything, and I, I don't know. I don't want to write a book. <laughs> so, but I would want I would I would. But what we want to do is to look back and see those five years I was in office as the day, as the years that El Salvador changed and put the country in the right path. It sounds impossible, but it's not. And with the help of God, With the help of our allies and with the help of all Salvadorans, even the ones in the opposition, especially the ones in the opposition, I'm sure we can make El Salvador an example for the world. Thank you very much, and I'm willing to answer some questions. Thank you. She's the boss. Thank you so much for the remarks, um, and thank you so much for the new announcements and the new commitments. Hold on, I think I'm a little too close to your microphone. Let me walk away um, on on countering corruption, immigration, and economic development. I mean, these are issues that have broad bipartisan support. So I'm sure everybody in the audience and everybody watching online is, and you know, pretty very much enjoyed them. Um, so we have about 20-ish minutes for question and answers. Um, please, if when I call on you, um, if you could state your name, the organization you are affiliated with, and please keep your question in question form. The only person making remarks today is the president-elect. Um, so let's see, um, the gentleman right here with the red tie. Wait, just And also please wait for the microphone to come to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. President. Bosco Martí, Executive Director for Mexico and Dominican Republic at the Inter-American Development Bank. 
Um, uh, you just uh, visit Mexico. You had a, a great meeting with uh, President López Obrador, and uh, you have both um, uh, envisioned that as a priority of uh, domestic and foreign affairs to address these root causes of migration. So migration is not a necessity, but uh, rather a decision. Um, how do you envision uh, this uh, uh, partnership with uh, with Mexico and, and, and your neighbors, and what role you think that the that international um, financial organizations such as the IDB or the World Bank can play a role in this? Thank you very much. Thank you. I think the the biggest shame a country can have is having its own population fleeing. So when we, see, when we see migration, we see it as someone like a normal thing. And the U.S. should take all the people that are fleeing our country. But the fact is that we should be ashamed of that. I mean, why people are fleeing our country? People should be proud to be in our country, to find opportunities there, to not be um, threatened that they will be killed if they stayed. So I think President Obrador and I, we both share that we cannot allow this to happen anymore. And of course it will be a process, but we want to be a fast process. And we want to end immigration. I mean the forceful immigration, of course, with just 90% of it. We, we cannot allow our countries. And a huge, rich country like Mexico, for example, cannot allow its population to be fleeing because of lack of a job. So we want we will we will invest in several issues for creating creating jobs in the rural areas in the south of Mexico in Guatemala in Honduras in El Salvador we will invest in education in safety in lower the crime rate in lower drug trafficking uh, we'll invest in infrastructure in productive infrastructure like ra railroads and ports and bridges and schools things that will re will have a return Economic return or social return. We'll invest in energy projects. And we'll invest in the areas that investment has been neglected for the last 30, 40, or 50 years. So we're, we're very confident that if we, why together? We could do it separately, right? But if we want to achieve real results, we have, we have to fix the, the four countries. Now I can, I can speak for El Salvador and, I can only speak for El Salvador. I can only speak a little of Mexico because I just I just spoke with the president. But the fact is that we have to we have to to change the way we're thinking about immigration. I think it's we we have to stop looking for the for some if, if it's someone else's fault. It's our fault, and it's something that we have we have to fix, and it's something that we can fix. And the IDB or the IMF and the World Bank or the any, any development bank, uh, they're eager to invest in this. They want to do it. They have a study, have studies, over studies. Information is everywhere. We have all of the information we need. The capital is there. The human capital is also there. The land is there. The common sense is there. I think what we have been lacking all of these years is uh, common sense, uh, the political will of doing things, uh, some vision. You don't need a huge vision, but some vision. And too much corruption. We have to tackle on corruption. If, if politicians are there to steal money, then we'll never get to anywhere. No money will be. No money will suffice if politicians are stealing the money. But, but I guess I've always said uh, the money 
money will suffice if no one, if no one is steal, stealing. And let me jump in here really quick and take moderator's prerogative. How do you how how do you plan on stopping politicians in El Salvador from not stealing money? Like what? How do you think that can be done? I would say I will steal these words from President Obrador. When you clean the stairs, you clean them from the top down, yeah. not from the bottom up. So we'll start by the president not stealing. <laughs> then we'll <laughs> then we'll go on. For our cabinet members not stealing, I cannot put my hands on fire for the 3,000 confidence positions that we, that we have to fill in the government, but I can put my, my hands on the fire for the people that we're going to put that will check that nobody is stealing, and if someone is, we'll, we'll bring him to the authorities, and we'll, we'll send all the documents and all the proofs and let the authorities, authorities do their job, but we're not going to let people steal in the government, and we're going to put our own agency in, inside the government, and we're also calling for an international commission to help us in fighting corruption. Let's move really quickly to the right side of the auditorium. My right, your left. Apparently, red is a very popular color for ties today. The gentleman here in the front. <laughs> I'm brought up. Thank you. Uh, Dan Erickson uh, with Blue Star Strategies. Congratulations on your election. Thank you for being here today. I hope you do change your mind about writing a book uh, as well. Uh, I want to ask a question. It's a, meant to be a friendly question, but maybe it's a tough one. I don't know. Um, the previous government or the outgoing government changed relations with Taiwan in favor of China. Um, and I would like to know how you're thinking about the China question. Would your government think of reversing that decision and going back towards diplomatic relations with Taiwan? Or, or how do you see that evolving in the future? Thank you. Thank you. That decision hasn't been, we haven't taken, we haven't, that decision hasn't been taken. But we have spoke about that. We just had a meeting about it. Uh, China is not playing by the rules. They don't respect the rules. They don't respect the rules of commerce. They, they go in, they do projects that are not feasible. Then they left the countries with huge loans they cannot repay, and then they use that as leverage. Um, they manipulate the currency, and then they want you to respect their manipulation of the currency. Uh, they are not a democracy, which... I mean, this is not the only not-democracy in the world. But they meddle into your democracy. So uh, we want to be friends with China. But China has to be friends with us. And we, we don't mean money or investment, but respect. So what we are studying right now is that we want a relationship with China if it's based on respect. But right now, we haven't seen that from them. So we are starting the, we, we're starting that decision. I know it hasn't happened in the last 30 years. No country has turned away in their relationship with China, with the second biggest economy in the world. And they say, in the meeting that we have earlier, they, they say, uh, like, you need a little courage to stand to China. 
But the fact is that we're not standing to China. We're just demanding respect. And if, if they respect us, we can have a relationship with them. If they don't respect us, we cannot have a relationship with them, even if they are the second biggest economy in the world. Now over to this side of the room, gentlemen in the yellow tie, please. President-elect uh, Steve Johnson from the International Republican Institute. Uh, I actually, uh, my wife and my two boys uh, lived in El Salvador some years ago, and we can remember in the 1980s and the 1990s that El Salvador was the economic engine of Central America. And you mentioned uh, jump-starting the economy with uh, increased trade with the United States, but part of that involves building capacity within your own country in recuperating the manufacturing and the innovation and the creativity that your country once had. As a businessman yourself, how would you do that? By letting the people that can do it, that do it. One thing that governments tend to, to get confused is to thinking that they can create all those, that creativity and productivity, and they can't, just because of the fact that the way the government works Government is supposed to facilitate that people have their own creativity and ingenuity and they jumpstart the economy. For example, right now, we have in a, in a bottleneck almost $10 billion in investment in El Salvador. So we just have to remove the bottleneck and $10, $10 billion will flow. Right now, OPEC, which we have a meeting on Friday, has pledged to invest $5.8 billion in the three countries of the Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador, so you get a chunk of it. One billion, two billion, depends on your project. It depends on the projects of the private sector that want to invest in El Salvador. So these are loans for the private sector, not for the, not for the, not for the government. So government must provide some things. For example, we want to promote surfing. You have the, one of the best surfing beaches in the world, but we don't have the infrastructure. So hotels, hotel chains cannot go because they didn't have sanitation of water, they didn't have good roads, they didn't have good electricity. But we already have the, the most difficult things to have, which are the waves. <laughs> <laughs> to build a road, some of the power line, and the water sewage, I mean, that's, that should be common sense. We, we can do that. And let the hotels and let the restaurants and the surf shops and the diving shops, let them have their own creativity to, to put their businesses there and grow and fight for the clients and let the business sector do what the business sector does, which is grow the economy, hire people, invest, invest more if they do good, uh, do good things and try to be more creative so that they get the, the clients that they want to get. And now in, the, in an international market, 1% of the international market is more than, more than El Salvador's capacity. So, of course, it's, of course, it will be a success. So if anybody wants to invest in surfing, hotels, or anything, we will have a boom in tourism. And that's, the, of course, it will require some uh, government investment, like everything, police, security. But we'll do that. And at the end of the time, I'm sure that it will be a, tourism will be a, a booming industry in, in El Salvador. And a couple of years from now, you will start saying again that El Salvador is the motor of Central America.
We have a microphone in the back, the gentleman in the back with the suit, glasses right there, who's been very patiently waiting. Thank you very much. Alexander Kravitz from Insight. Thank you for your remarks, Mr. President-elect. As, um, as a Salvadoran, I want to congratulate you on your remarkable, indeed historic, uh, electoral win. And I think that even Salvadorans that uh, did not support you in the election, they, you have generated great hope and expectations that you will be able to move El Salvador in a new direction, as, as you said, and, uh, and all support you in that. I have two questions, one about El Salvador, one about your visit here. Are you going to be time for one question just to be considerate of the audience? One question. So I'll go to the second question about El Salvador. Would you be willing to consider naming uh, former government officials or former officials from ARENA or uh, FMLN administrations to your new cabinet? Thank you. More than that, I think it's important that we, if we want to turn the page in the post war era, we have to turn the page, we have to start turning the page ourselves. So if we start to fight with our for, uh, former adversa electoral adversaries, then we're not giving the example. So on Monday, actually on Monday, I'm meeting with the president of ARENA to find some common ground in the, in the National Assembly. Uh, I, I bet we have 100 things we're not, we don't agree on, but I bet we have 200 things we do agree on. So let's keep the 100 things we don't agree on for later, and let's approve the 200 things we agree on on Monday. So right now we haven't taken decisions of the cabinet, but of course there's capable people in the right, in the left. And for us, I, I think we, tra we transcend, our movement transcends ideology. I mean, we're not, I don't consider myself of the right or the left. I, I just think, if you ask your kids, uh, do they consider to be on the right or on the left, they will say that. I'm, I don't care. So they, they want pragmatism, they want solutions. I mean, fighting against corruption, is, is it from the right or the left? I mean, it's just common sense. You have to, you have to stop politicians from stealing money. Uh, investing is from the right or the left. Everybody wants investment, private investment. Is it the right or the left? Well, you we could say right if you consider the left like communism, right? But if, is it liberal or progressive or conservative? I mean, everybody wants in private investment. So we really want to focus on the things that, that we share and not focus on the things that we disagree. And of course, there's very capable people in, in the right and there's capable people in the left, there's capable people in the center, and there's capable people that have never been in politics because they, they have never trust politics. And the, but now they're they're beginning to they're beginning to try and trust and be confident that, that our country can can improve and be better. So of course, all all on board. If if there's good people that want to serve their country, jump in. <laughs> so you're collecting job applications on the way out, correct? Yes. Okay. All right. Just making sure. We have a gentleman here. They are not very well paid, though. Not. They are not allowed to steal. So it's a kind of a sacrifice, but you're allowed to sacrifice. There you go. I think the gentleman right over here. Thank you. First of all, congratulations on an amazing victory. Those that didn't believe now are believers. But I have a question for you. Can because, you have your name and your organization? Yes, my name is Mario Velasquez. I'm a senior consultant with the Southwest Voter Registration and Education Project in the Southwest of the U.S. Um, so my question is about impunity. 
I haven't heard you speak about impunity, but I assuming with everything else you said, impunity is included. So I want to hear from you, Mr. President-elect, that you will be firm and uncompromising when it comes to acts of impunity that we have seen from the right and we have seen from the left in El Salvador, cases like Jose Luis Merino, who act in complete impunity on many aspects of the economy. I think that history has shown us that corruption is on the left and on the right. We have seen these examples in the 20 years Arena governed, and we have seen the same examples in the 10 years FMLN governed. We will not tolerate impunity. And that's a fair answer. We'll not tolerate impunity. We'll not tolerate corruption. And we are so committed to that that, we're, that we are calling for an international commission to help us do it. Why? Because inter an international commission is at a lesser risk to be corrupted than a national one. Because they, are, they come from another place. They didn't have connections in, in our country, and they have a clear mandate and, leg and legitimacy. So we're, we're, we're calling for an international anti-corruption and anti-impunity commission to come to, for, to El Salvador. And, of course, we're not going to protect anybody. And not, you, you, mentioned a, you mentioned names from one party. But if it's from our party, it's the same. No corruption and no impunity, no matter where it comes from. We have a gentleman in the back right here with a pink tie who's been waiting very anxiously. Thank you. Congratulations, Mr. President-elect, on a very historic and unprecedented um, break of the bipartisanship in El Salvador. Uh, I have a question. Uh, my name is Saul Diaz. Um, I am a radiation therapist at Mary Washington Healthcare. And uh, my question to you uh, comes from the comment that you made that Salvadorians are one of the most hardworking people that you know. And I could not agree more on that statement. Uh, my question to you is, what will your administration be doing to try to attract all the talent that has unfortunately left the nation in terms of coming back and contributing to uh, the economy and the society itself. I, I left the country due to the lack of opportunity, my family and I did when I was a child. And through all adversity, I have fought very hard and I am now a professional in the healthcare industry. So I am very interested to know your position on what your administration will be doing um, to uh, give an incentive to all the professionals that are around the world that would want to come back to the country and contribute. Thank you. Two, two years ago, there was, the government was doing some things that were not, were not good. And some people in the opposition started calling for young people to come out to the streets and stop that. Nobody showed up. Crowds were 10, 15, 20 people. That's not even a crowd. And politicians and analysts in TV started asking, why do young people don't come out? They should go out. And I said, young people will go out when they are inspired. They will not go out when they, were out when they are to be used. So when, when we were at our, when we won the elections, a lot of, Tens of thousands of young people get out 
I said, see? They are inspired now. So the way of attracting people is not by giving a subsidy or guaranteeing a job, because they already have one here, and probably better paid, but try to, to inspire them to do something good for their country. I, I've spoken with thousands of Salvadorans living here, in, here in Washington, in the, in the DMB area, in California, in Boston, in New York, and they've, they've told me different stories. Like, I want to put my business over there, but I'm afraid I will be rented by the Maras. Or I want to go back there, but I don't know if I find a job. Or, or I want to I retire there because my retirement will, will give me more for my buck in El Salvador than it gives me here. But I'm afraid of what I will find over there. And I've heard also, I'll, back, I'll go back there when you win. I'll go back there when you're thrown in. I will go back there when I start to see the changes that you're promising. So the fact is that one thing brings the other, like the chicken and the egg. But the real thing is that what, what can make that happen is inspiring people. And I bet not only Salvadorans will go, but also people from all over the world. Because when you see something that is inspiring, a thing that you can build, a thing that you can part of that history, you will be eager to do it, even if you sacrifice a couple of bucks but you will see that you're doing something important. And a lot of people want to do something important in their lives. I mean, I could state as, an, as a businessman, I could earn more, more, more money than, I could, than the president's salary. But the fact is that I wanted to do a change. Our ministers are not getting overpaid like they were getting in the previous government, in the actual government. So their salaries are not that high, but I bet there's... Thousands of people that want to do that job because they want to change their country. So I'm sure if in the three million Salvadorans living abroad, if we find 5%, that's 150,000 people, 150,000 talents, 150,000 hardworking people with a dream and with hope that they can rebuild our country and make an example in the world. We have time for one more question just to keep things running on time today. And I'm trying to think who are the hands that have been up for a while. Uh, the gentleman there in the pink tie. Thank you. I'm I really? Yeah. I am so yeah. I am so sorry. I did not mean to do that on purpose. So sir, I'm so sorry. Very Thank well. you very much for <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very much. So right here, yes. Thank you. Let's do that. Okay, we can. We'll have her ask a question, and then we can do that afterward, just to keep things on time. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. Uh, my name is Alessandra Clara, and I'm a consultant on corporate social responsibility, and I have a master's in social entrepreneurship. So it's all about measuring the impact that businesses have in society. And my question, and first and foremost, I'm Salvadorian, and I voted for you, so I'm very hopeful. Um, um, so I really want to ask, what do you think um, the role of the private sector will have in your administration, and um, what are you doing to build partnerships with that? Thanks. What does an, invest an investor want? Returns. Security, 
rules not to be changed after he made his investment, and the ability to get his money in and out whenever he wants. And a common sense market. I mean, if he sells shoes, he wants people that buy shoes, right? That's very easy to provide. And right now we live in a world where, for example, Central America, Nicaragua is in such troubles. They lost 40,000 jobs. They just lost 40,000 jobs. Guatemala is in a political turmoil. Also Honduras. If I wanted to invest in Central America, I would invest in El Salvador. <laughs> and, and if we have the right rules, people are confident that we're not changing them. We increase our security, our physical security, and we change the topic of the conversation. Because right now, conversation is caravans, is immigration, maras. But if we change the topic of conversation to positive things, even in those issues, I mean, we can talk about those issues, but in a positive way, because things are changing, changing through the positive things. I'm bet, I'm sure, and this, I mean, mark my words, I'm sure we will have a boom in private investment in El Salvador in the next months, just by showing our willingness to work with them. And our acceptance of acceptance of the importance of private sector investment. Since I was told I have not called on enough ladies, and I deeply apologize for that because I was not on purpose. We're going to call on one more lady, and just to kind of, and we're going to take things a few minutes over. But I hope that's okay with you. Um, I think we've I'm seen yep, right here in the front. Uh, with the blazer, thank you. And she will be our final question for today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, my name is Rocio Treminio. I'm the mayor of the town of Brentwood. But my question is, you have explained a lot of investment, and I would like to know what is the focus? What is the uh, industry um, focus that you want to have? What is the administration is going to work? What are the sectors that you're planning to bring to El Salvador? All of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, when we were campaigning, we did some promises of big projects, an airport, expanding the port, both of our ports, a railroad. And people were saying, we don't have money for those types of, of, of projects. They're, they're too big, and we need, we need other things. And I say, imagine an island, right? You have an island, a desertic island. We just found an island. And we said... Let's build a country in that island. That island has enough land and natural resources to build a country. Okay, now there you have $10 billion to build the country. And you have 200,000 people to build your country with 200,000 people and $10 billion. What you will do? What's the first thing you would do? A port, right? And then what you do? An airport. And then a government center and roads and a hospital and schools. And then a power plant. And then area for industry, agriculture, tourism. You find the best beaches and you do the tourism over there. And then you start building an economy. And a country in an island that works. The other way is the way that is, was proposed by our electoral adversaries. Spend the $10 billion. It starts giving free food, free things, 
handouts. The next year you will have nine billion. And you continue to do that. In ten years you have nothing. You have no port, no airport, no roads, no, no schools, no hospitals, no government center, no tourism area, no agriculture, no industry, no jobs, and people will spec, will spec the handouts where there's no more money, like in Venezuela. So there's no more money to give. So what will happen? The country is in, in bankruptcy. So what we're going to do in El Salvador is do the right thing. Of course, the example I just did is an XML example. We, you have to scale. But, the, but what we're going to do is the common sense thing. We need a railroad. We need, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to go, that to go from La Union to Huachapan, you take eight hours. I mean, you should take one and a half or two. So we will build the things necessary for a country to work. And the investment will flow. Who said this? Kevin Costner? Build it and they will come? <laughs> yeah, we'll build it. They will come. Okay, the founder of Wendy's then. I'm pretty sure that's the first time at a heritage event where we're closing on either a Kevin Costner or a Wendy's founder quote. Um, but with that, sir, on behalf of the Heritage Foundation, we deeply appreciate you coming here and delivering your remarks. Um, I mean, I can tell you this. I've been at Heritage about five years. This is the largest crowd I have seen because we also have an overflow, overflow room downstairs, and we have thousands of people watching online. So if everybody in the audience can please join me in thanking the president-elect for this You want to do it outside or right here? Right here? Okay, so we just need everybody to be quiet then. So then how about everybody take a seat and let's be quiet for two, three minutes if you can do that, if you guys don't mind. Awesome, thank you. So Justin, you'll deliver a two, three minute remark in Spanish and we'll just go for two Las dos cosas vienen de la mano. En El Salvador hemos tenido, según cálculos, no míos, pero según cálculos que están ahí, incluso en libros y en escritos y en estudios, en El Salvador solo en el tiempo de arena se perdieron del Estado en malversaciones, robos, eh, etcétera, más de 37 mil millones de dólares. 37 mil millones. Si le sumamos los 10 años del FMLN, no pudiera cuantificarlo porque no hay nadie que eche un, un estudio, pero imagino que serán otros cuantos miles de millones más. Según el plan El Salvador Seguro, se necesitan mil millones de dólares para poder asegurar El Salvador. Eso es 40 veces menos de lo que se han robado los corruptos. Entonces, no es que nuestro país no tenga dinero para combatir el crimen. Es que nuestro país, el dinero que teníamos para combatir el crimen se lo robaron. Ahora no vamos a llorar sobre la leche derramada, pero el ingreso sigue estando ahí. Y pues ahora podemos poner el dinero de la gente, trabajar para la gente y, y combatir la criminalidad en tres formas. La primera es con la prevención, compitiéndole a los jóvenes en las pandillas para que los jóvenes tengan una oportunidad mejor que entrar a la pandilla. El ingreso promedio mensual de un pandillero es de 300 dólares al mes. 
No es difícil para el Estado mejorar eso. Nosotros podemos hacer oportunidades para que nuestros programas de deporte, de cultura, de arte, de becas, de educación, de empleo, etcétera, de oportunidades de poner una empresa, sean mucho más atractivas que entrar a una pandilla a que los maten. La segunda es combate a la delincuencia y para eso necesitamos más recursos para la policía y sobre todo el uso de tecnología. Al día de hoy ni siquiera tenemos un laboratorio forense. Ahora vamos a invertir realmente en combatir la delincuencia de una manera inteligente. Y la tercera es la reinserción. Tenemos cárceles que son universidades del crimen en lugar de ser centros de rehabilitación. Necesitamos que sean centros de rehabilitación no solo porque es lo correctamente humano para hacer, sino porque son la gente que tiene penas de 5 o 10 años y ahí van 9. En un año van a salir inexorablemente, queramos o no. Entonces es mejor que salgan con una actividad, que salgan graduados de algo positivo y no que salgan graduados de delincuentes como están siendo graduados ahora. Internacional para empezar a trabajar, mencionó una comisión internacional para comenzar a trabajar en la corrupción en El Salvador. ¿Esta comisión ya está haciendo gestiones en la OEA o por medio de qué organismo lo haría? Y eh, segunda, ¿cómo va a empezar a votar El Salvador en temas de Nicaragua y Venezuela en la OEA? Está fácil. Vamos a, vamos a, ya hemos hecho el llamado a la, para la Comisión Internacional contra la Impunidad y la Corrupción. Lo bueno de una comisión internacional, como lo dije hace un rato, es de que le quita la, la influencia o quita la mayor cantidad de la influencia que pueden tener los corruptos sobre la comisión, porque la comisión por su naturaleza es internacional. Y segundo, está avalada por un organismo internacional. Puede ser la ONU o la OEA, hemos hablado con ambos. Incluso el doctor Almagro de la OEA, incluso tuiteó de eso hace unos meses, está dispuesto a trabajar de la mano con la ONU, lo que sería inédito. Generalmente la OEA y la ONU no trabajan de la mano, pero en este caso sí están dispuestos a hacerlo. Así que pudiera ser con la ONU, pudiera ser con la OEA o pudiera ser con ambos, trabajando en conjunto. Pero definitivamente tiene que ser internacional y tiene que ser avalado por una organización respetada. En el caso de Ortega y Maduro pueden irse despidiendo de sus aliados del de Salvador. Media. So, cool. so, so I pick perfect. Yeah. Okay. Pick a so, woman. A woman, yes. Right over here. I know. So we have so female journalists, please raise your hand. Right over here. Let me see. I think we also had one to the right. If I'm not mistaken. No, no, no. It's fine, guys. Give me 30 seconds. Right, right over there with the microphone. Thank you so Hi. Hola, hola a todos. Este, represento así es mi gente. Este, la, el tema sobre el TPS y los Dreamers este, es un tema muy importante. Yo so, quería que explicara cómo, cuál es el plan para que los que están aquí ya con el TPS y el Dreamer pudieran llegar a una residencia permanente aquí en los Estados Unidos. Estamos, nosotros estamos trabajando de la mano con el gobierno de Estados Unidos. Hemos, tenido, hemos recibido delegaciones de senadores, de congresistas de los dos lados del Lyle. Estamos trabajando con los oficiales del gobierno de Estados Unidos. Yo creo que es más fácil, no creo, estoy seguro, que es más fácil solicitar algo desde la posición de un amigo y de un aliado que está colaborando y no de la posición de un enemigo, como ha sido los últimos 10 años. Yo estoy seguro de que vamos a encontrar alguna solución que sea de beneficio para todos. 
Lo que sí tenemos que cambiar es nuestra, nuestra mentalidad de pedir, pedir y pedir sin dar. Tenemos que empezar. Tenemos que empezar a hacer un quid pro quo. Tenemos que, en, igual que cualquier amistad, igual que cualquier relación, incluso de pareja, no se puede pedir si no se da. Entonces nosotros queremos empezar una relación con los Estados Unidos, no solo de, de asocios y de aliados, sino de amigos. Y esto estoy seguro, porque así funciona la naturaleza humana, que vamos a recibir de parte de ellos un trato similar. En cuanto a los detalles, pues eso lo vamos a ver con ellos. Y sabiendo de que la única forma de llegar a un acuerdo sostenible en el tiempo y nuestras parches temporales es que sea algo que tenga ganancia para ambos y no que sea simplemente una forma de llegar y pedir como siempre se ha hecho. Pero estoy seguro que vamos a encontrar algo que nos beneficie a todos. Thank you all so much. We are running about 15 minutes behind schedule, but thank you all so much for coming. There, for, thank you so much. Gracias. Gracias.